Section 34 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D section thirty four chapter forty three part two this motion was seconded by some members but the ministers and privy councillors opposed it and foretold the consequences which ensued the queen sent for the speaker and after requiring him to deliver to her morris's bill she told him that it was in her power to call parliaments in her power to dissolve them in her power to give assent or dissent to any determination which they should form that her purpose in summoning this parliament was twofold to have laws enacted for the further enforcement of uniformity in religion and to provide for the defence of the nation against the exorbitant power of spain that these two points ought therefore to be the object of their deliberations she had enjoined them already by the mouth of the lord keeper to meddle neither with matters of state nor of religion and she wondered how any one could be so assuming as to attempt a subject so expressly contrary to her prohibition that she was highly offended with this presumption and took the present opportunity to reiterate the commands given by the keeper and to require that no bill regarding either state affairs or reformation in causes ecclesiastical be exhibited in the house and that in particular she charged the speaker upon his allegiance if any such bills were offered absolutely to refuse them a reading and not so much as permit them to be debated by the members this command from the queen was submitted to without further question morris was seized in the house itself by a sergeant-at-arms discharged from his office of chancellor to the duchy incapacitated from any practice in his profession as a common lawyer and kept some years prisoner in tilbury castle the queen having thus expressly pointed out what the house should and should not do the commons were as obsequious to the one as to the other of her injunctions they passed a law against recusants such a law as was suited to the severe character of elizabeth and to the persecuting spirit of the age it was entitled an act to retain her majesty's subject in their due obedience and was meant as the preamble declares to obviate such inconveniences and perils as might grow from the wicked practices of seditious sectaries and disloyal persons for these two species of criminals were always at that time confounded together as equally dangerous to the peace of society it was enacted that any person above sixteen years of age 
who obstinately refused during the space of a month to attend public worship should be committed to prison that if after being condemned for this offence he persist three months in his refusal he must abjure the realm and that if he either refuse this condition or return after banishment he should suffer capitally as a felon without benefit of clergy this law bore equally hard upon the puritans and upon the catholics and had it not been imposed by the queen's authority was certainly in that respect much contrary to the private sentiments and inclinations of the majority of the house of commons very little opposition however appears there to have been openly made to it the expenses of the war with spain having reduced the queen to great difficulties the grant of subsidies seems to have been the most important business of this parliament and it was a signal proof of the high spirit of elizabeth that while conscious of a present dependence on the commons she opened the sentence with the most haughty treatment of them and covered her weakness under such a lofty appearance of superiority the commons readily voted two subsidies and four fifteenths but this sum not appearing sufficient to the court an unusual expedient was fallen upon to induce them to make an enlargement in their concessions the peers informed the commons in a conference that they could not give their assent to the supply voted thinking it too small for the queen's occasions they therefore proposed a grant of three subsidies and six fifteenths and desired a further conference in order to persuade the commons to agree to this measure the commons who had acquired the privilege of beginning bills of subsidy took offence at this procedure of the lords and at first absolutely rejected the proposal but being afraid on reflection that they had by this refusal given offence to their superiors they both agreed to the conference and afterwards voted the additional subsidy the queen notwithstanding this unusual concession of the commons ended the session with a speech containing some reprimands to them and full of the same high pretensions which she had assumed at the opening of the parliament she took notice by the mouth of the keeper that certain members spent more time than was necessary by indulging themselves in harangues and reasonings and she expressed her displeasure on account of their not paying due reverence to privy councillors who she told them were not to be accounted as common knights and burgesses of the house who are councillors but during the parliament whereas the others are standing councillors and for their wisdom and great service are called to the council of the state the queen also in her own person made the parliament a spirited harangue in which she spoke of the justice and moderation of her government expressed the small ambition she had ever entertained of making conquests displayed the just grounds of her quarrel with the king of spain and discovered how little she apprehended the power of that monarch even though he should make a greater effort against her 
than that of his invincible armada but i am informed added she that when he attempted this last invasion some upon the sea-coast forsook their towns fled up higher into the country and left all naked and exposed to his entrance but i swear unto you by god if i knew those persons or may know of any that shall do so hereafter i will make them feel what it is to be so fearful in so urgent a cause by this menace she probably gave the people to understand that she would execute martial law upon such cowards for there was no statute by which a man could be punished for changing his place of abode the king of france though he had hitherto made war on the league with great bravery and reputation though he had this campaign gained considerable advantages over them and though he was assisted by a considerable body of english under norris who carried hostilities into the heart of Brittany, was become sensible that he never could, by force of arms alone, render himself master of his kingdom. The nearer he seemed by his military successes to approach to a full possession of the throne, the more discontent and jealousy arose among those Romanists who adhered to him. And a party was formed in his own court to elect some catholic monarch of the royal blood if henry should any longer refuse to satisfy them by declaring his conversion this excellent prince was far from being a bigot to his sect and as he deemed these theological disputes entirely subordinate to the public good he had secretly determined from the beginning to come some time or other to the resolution required of him he had found on the death of his predecessor that the huguenots who formed the bravest and most faithful part of his army were such determined zealots that if he had at that time abjured their faith they would instantly have abandoned him to the pretensions and usurpations of the catholics the more bigoted catholics he knew particularly those of the league had entertained such an unsurmountable prejudice against his person and diffidence of his sincerity that even his abjuration would not reconcile them to his title and he must either expect to be entirely excluded from the throne or be admitted to it on such terms as would leave him little more than the mere shadow of royalty in this delicate situation he had resolved to temporize to retain the huguenots by continuing in the profession of their religion to gain the moderate catholics by giving them hopes of his conversion to attach both to his person by conduct and success and he hoped either that the animosity arising from war against the league would make them drop gradually the question of religion or that he might in time after some victories over his enemies and some conferences with divines make finally with more decency and dignity that abjuration which must have appeared at first mean as well as suspicious to both parties when the people are attached to any theological tenets 
merely from a general persuasion or prepossession they are easily induced by any motive or authority to change their faith in these mysterious subjects as appears from the example of the english who during some reigns usually embraced without scruple the still varying religion of their sovereigns but the french nation where principles had so long been displayed as the badges of faction and where each party had fortified its belief by an animosity against the other were not found so pliable or inconstant and henry was at last convinced that the catholics of his party would entirely abandon him if he gave them not immediate satisfaction in this particular the huguenots also taught by experience clearly saw that his desertion of them was become absolutely necessary for the public settlement and so general was this persuasion among them that as the duke of sully pretends even the divines of that party purposely allowed themselves to be worsted in the disputes and conferences that the king might more readily be convinced of the weakness of their cause and might more cordially and sincerely at least more decently embrace the religion which it was so much his interest to believe if this self-denial in so tender a point should appear incredible and supernatural in theologians it will at least be thought very natural that a prince so little instructed in these matters as henry and desirous to preserve his sincerity should insensibly bend his opinion to the necessity of his affairs and should believe that party to have the best arguments who could alone put him in possession of a kingdom all circumstances therefore being prepared for this great event that monarch renounced the protestant religion and was solemnly received by the french prelates of his party into the bosom of the church elizabeth who was herself attached to the protestants chiefly by her interests and the circumstances of her birth and who seems to have entertained some propensity during her whole life to the catholic superstition at least to the ancient ceremonies yet pretended to be extremely displeased with this abjuration of henry and she wrote him an angry letter reproaching him with this interested change of his religion sensible however that the league and the king of spain were still their common enemies she hearkened to his apologies continued her succours both of men and money and formed a new treaty in which they mutually stipulated never to make peace but by common agreement the intrigues of spain were not limited to france and england by means of the never-failing pretence of religion joined to the influence of money philip excited new disorders in scotland and gave fresh alarms to elizabeth george kerr brother to lord newbottle had been taken while he was passing secretly into spain and papers were found about him by which a dangerous conspiracy of some catholic noblemen with philip was discovered the earls of angus errol and huntley the heads of three potent families had entered into a confederacy with the spanish monarch 
and had stipulated to raise all their forces to join them to a body of spanish troops which philip promised to send into scotland and after re-establishing the catholic religion in that kingdom to march with their united power in order to effect the same purpose in england graham of fintry who had also entered into this conspiracy was taken and arraigned and executed elizabeth sent lord borough ambassador into scotland and exhorted the king to exercise the same severity on the three earls to confiscate their estates and by annexing them to the crown both increase his own domain and set an example to all his subjects of the dangers attending treason and rebellion the advice was certainly rational but not easy to be executed by the small revenue and limited authority of james he desired therefore some supply from her of men and money but though she had reason to deem the prosecution of the three popish earls a common cause she never could be prevailed on to grant him the least assistance the tenth part of the expense which she bestowed in supporting the french king and the states would have sufficed to execute this purpose more immediately essential to her security but she seems ever to have borne some degree of malignity to james whom she hated both as her heir and as the son of mary her hated rival and competitor so far from giving james assistance to prosecute the catholic conspirators the queen rather contributed to increase his inquietude by countenancing the turbulent disposition of the earl of bothwell a nobleman descended from a natural son of james v bothwell more than once attempted to render himself master of the king's person and being expelled the kingdom for these traitorous enterprises he took shelter in england was secretly protected by the queen and lurked near the borders where his power lay with a view of still committing some new violence he succeeded at last in an attempt on the king and by the mediation of the english ambassador imposed dishonourable terms upon that prince but james by the authority of the convention of states annulled this agreement as extorted by violence again expelled bothwell and obliged him to take shelter in england elizabeth pretending ignorance of the place of his retreat never executed the treaties by which she was bound to deliver up all rebels and fugitives to the king of scotland during these disorders increased by the refractory disposition of the ecclesiastics the prosecution of the catholic earls remained in suspense but at last the parliament passed an act of attainder against them and the king prepared himself to execute it by force of arms the noblemen though they obtained a victory over the earl of argyle who acted by the king's commission found themselves hard pressed by james himself and agreed on certain terms to leave the kingdom bothwell being defected in a confederacy with them forfeited the favour of elizabeth and was obliged to take shelter first in france then in italy 
where he died some years after in great poverty the established authority of the queen secured her from all such attempts as james was exposed to from the mutinous disposition of his subjects and her enemies found no other means of giving her domestic disturbance than by such traitorous and perfidious machinations as ended in their own disgrace and in the ruin of their criminal instruments rodrigo lopez a jew domestic physician to the queen being imprisoned on suspicion confessed that he had received a bribe to poison her from fuentes and ibarra who had succeeded parma lately deceased in the government of the netherlands but he maintained that he had no other intention than to cheat philip of his money and never meant to fulfil his engagement he was however executed for the conspiracy and the queen complained to philip of these dishonourable attempts of his ministers but could obtain no satisfaction york and williams two english traitors were afterwards executed for a conspiracy with ibarra equally atrocious instead of avenging herself by retaliating in a like manner elizabeth sought a more honourable vengeance by supporting the king of france and assisting him in finally breaking the force of the league which after the conversion of that monarch went daily to decay and was threatened with speedy ruin and dissolution norris commanded the english forces in brittany and assisted at the taking of morlaix quimpercorentin and brest towns garrisoned by spanish forces in every action the english though they had so long enjoyed domestic peace discovered a strong military disposition and the queen though herself a heroine found more frequent occasion to reprove her generals for encouraging their temerity than for countenancing their fear or caution sir martin frobisher her brave admiral perished with many others before brest morlaix had been promised to the english for a place of retreat but the duke d'aumont the french general eluded this promise by making it be inserted in the capitulation that none but catholics should be admitted into that city next campaign the french king who had long carried on hostilities with philip was at last provoked by the taking of chatelet and d'orlon and the attack of cambray to declare war against that monarch elizabeth being threatened with a new invasion in england and with an insurrection in ireland recalled most of her forces and sent norris to command in this latter kingdom finding also that the french league was almost entirely dissolved and that the most considerable leaders had made an accommodation with their prince she thought that he could well support himself by his own force and valour and she began to be more sparing in his cause of the blood and treasure of her subjects some disgusts which she had received from the states joined to the remonstrances of her frugal minister burleigh made her also inclined to diminish her charges on that side and she even demanded by her ambassador sir thomas bodley to be reimbursed all the money which she had expended in supporting them 
the states besides alleging the conditions of the treaty by which they were not bound to repay her till the conclusion of a peace pleaded their present poverty and distress the great superiority of the spaniards and the difficulty in supporting the war much more in saving money to discharge their encumbrances after much negotiation a new treaty was formed by which the states agreed to free the queen immediately from the charge of the english auxiliaries computed at forty thousand pounds a year to pay her annually twenty thousand pounds for some years to assist her with a certain number of ships and to conclude no peace or treaty without her consent they also bound themselves on finishing a peace with spain to pay her annually the sum of a hundred thousand pounds for four years but on this condition that the payment should be in lieu of all demands and that they should be supplied through their own charge with the body of four thousand auxiliaries from england the queen still retained in her hands the cautionary towns which were a great check on the rising power of the states and she committed the important trust of flushing to sir francis vere a brave officer who had distinguished himself by his valour in the low countries she gave him the preference to essex who expected so honourable a command and though this nobleman was daily rising both in reputation with the people and favour with herself the queen who was commonly reserved in the advancement of her courtiers thought proper on this occasion to give him a refusal sir thomas baskerville was sent over to france at the head of two thousand english with which elizabeth by a new treaty concluded with henry engaged to supply that prince some stipulations for mutual assistance were formed by the treaty and all former engagements were renewed end of section thirty four chapter forty three part two